chapter 10 tonight. We want to focus in on two verses together. So if you're there, if you would stand with me for the reading of the word. We talk about community and we talk about what it means to be a Christ follower who's plugged into a local community. And at the end of or near the end of the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews writes um, some exhortations in a pack of three really gives us one another commands or let us commands. And so I want to focus in on the last one of this particular paragraph here, verses 24 and 25. This is the word of the Lord. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. This is the word of God. Praise him for giving it to us. Let's pray together this evening. Father, we love you and we are in awe of you and thankful that you give us your word so that we might know how to worship you, how to serve you, how to love you, and how to live a life that brings glory to you. And so in the time that we spend together, Father, I ask that you would help me as I preach your word to do it faithfully and clearly um, so that we understand, God, that it's not the things that I say, but it's your word that explains how we are to live with one another and grow with one another and care for each other. And so may we be convicted of that very need tonight, all for your glory, not for mine or for our college ministries, but so that we can be closer to you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Guys can be seated. You know, community is a big deal. I don't know if you recognize this, but um, if you are a a television person, you like to watch TV, TV shows. Now, I'm not talking about like actually watching TV on like live TV. I don't even know that majority of people will still do that in the next five years. But think about these words. Uh, Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, and they're always glad you came. Okay? You might think of other familiar words. So no one told you your life was going to be this way? Your job? The joke? Your love life's DOA? It's like you're always stuck in second gear. When it hasn't been your day, your week, your month, or even your year. Toby, why are you the way that you are? And let's be honest, it's just a good day to treat yourself. You survey television from about the last 60 years moving forward. Most television shows that tend to be in that sitcom genre of television are built around community. And for years, before we ever had TiVo or DVR, Netflix or Hulu, people oriented their lives around being at home to catch these TV shows. People oriented their days. They wanted to be, ironically, part of a community of people at work that talked about watching a show 
the previous night about community around the water cooler at their office. It's ironic because what TV does is it taps into something innate in each and every one of us that we want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. You say, well, I don't really like TV. Okay. Uh, Let's see. Not even 15 days, but September 1st is a Saturday. To you, it may be another Saturday, but to millions of us, it marks the opening day of college football. And 110,000 people will cram themselves into a stadium and watch Alabama beat the pants off of somebody nobody cares about. And they'll be rowdy. The first couple weeks of football, except for a few games, they're not even close. They're warm-ups for the regular season. But yet people will pile in to watch schools like Alabama, Florida, Michigan, Ohio State, and other great programs around the country play Northwest Southeast School of the Blind. And they will high-five each other and chest-bump each other and paint big letters on their chest to watch their team kill another team 115 to nothing. That Nobody's even surprised by the outcome. They don't even cover it because it's not even newsworthy. Why do people cram themselves into these stadiums? Why do people act like idiots? Why do people take their shirts off in the middle of 30 below weather in the middle of Green Bay at the end of an NFL season and paint Packers on them. This is just dumb. But we watch it and go, this is totally sane and normal. It's because innately inside each and every one of us is a desire to be part of something bigger than ourselves. But even more so to have relationship inside of that group of people. And it's a vital, important need more to be plugged into the right community than just into community. And here's the danger. When you're not plugged into community as a Christ follower, it's easier to be picked off or to fall into sin than when you're plugged into a vibrant community of faith. And that's what the author of Hebrews is getting at in Hebrews chapter 10. He drops into this particular paragraph and these particular instructions to say, your community Being involved in community matters. And so if we're going to say at the end of a series, why is it important for you to be plugged into a college ministry like Crave? We have to at some point in this series say for your own benefit, but also for the benefit of those around you to be plugged into community. So the the I keep wanting to tell you who the author of Hebrews is. I think it's Luke. Others think differently. So forgive me if you don't hold that position. But Luke writes here in the book of Hebrews, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And so if we're going to talk about community, we have to mark out three things that community consists of from this particular text. First, community begins by considering Others. So if we're going to be involved in community, we have to consider others. Let's read it again. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. I've separated consider and to 
love and good works for this very reason. In order for love and good works to follow, considering others has to be first. The listeners here are being urged, pushed, exhorted to focus their minds on other people. Because, let's be honest, even in the first century, people still struggle to think primarily of themselves first. But let's put a little background to this actual text. The book of Hebrews is written to a group of scattered believers called the Diaspora. Jewish believers are scattered. They are struggling. They live in a situation and in a context that is hostile towards Christianity. Sounds familiar? They live in a context where to be bold for Christ is to not only receive weird looks, but to also experience real and actual persecution. So as the author of Hebrews pushes them, he says, you living in a situation that is hostile towards you are going to have to consider each other first. Because we're tempted in hard situations to think of ourselves primarily. In our community. In our group. Right? You had a hard day at school. You have a hard semester. Some of you have told me what your class schedule looks like. And I don't even know how you're going to handle it. Some of you tell me classes I just didn't even know existed. I went to Bible college. We were really focused on one book the entire time. Made it a little bit easier. A little bit. Not always. And so your whole worldview is scoped around yourself. You've been focused on plugging in and ministering to people in your small group all through the summer. But now that the school year's here, those people begin to suffer because your school comes first. Your job comes first. Your girlfriend comes first. Your boyfriend comes first. Your video games come first. Because we're tempted, right, to find our identity and find our sense of belonging in things other than God. And here the author of Hebrews is pushing these believers to think about others. They have to consider. And it's, it's more than just a glance at someone else around them. It's actually caring about their well-being. The order of the words, though, is also important. Look at verse 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Love is the internal attitude and the spiritual disposition that expresses itself in those love and good works. Another way of saying it might be like this. If you're really going to stir someone up towards love and good works, you actually have to love them first before you can ever create anything inside of them. You guys are really good about this. It's something that we don't talk a lot about in church. But with each passing generation, your um, bull meter 
goes up. You guys can sense probably better than any other generation when people are just going through the motions. And you're looking for genuine community, not fake community, but genuine community, not fake relationships, but genuine relationships. We're finally beginning to see a little bit of the pushback to the social media era, whereby some of you are saying, I really don't give a rip about what my third grade best friend is eating on her 14th vacation this year. I'm pretty sure all she does is hitchhike from place to place. You're pushing back against that. Because your meter for fake is stronger than it's ever been. And that's why if we're going to exist as a strong community, we can't be fake community. Which means our genuine care for people when they walk through our doors, our genuine care when they sit in our small groups, when we head to campus and share the gospel, has to be genuine. It cannot be fake. It cannot be one that's just motivated by, well, God says that if these people don't hear about Jesus, they're going to go to hell. So I just really don't want these people to go to hell. And I also really don't want to get in trouble with God. So I'm going to be motivated to care about other people because of those reasons. It's fake community. It's fake theology, really. Because it's based not on genuine concern for one another, but just appeasing. And can we just say it's a wrong view of God and his desire for relationships? So if we're going to have genuine community as a group of believers, we have to first consider others it begins with considering others so you have to ask the question tonight do i even care about the people around me even right now did you primarily show up for wednesday night worship gathering for yourself or to minister to other people is church a means to serve you or an opportunity for you to serve others further we have to ask this question how much do you honestly spend thinking, how much time do you honestly spend thinking about the people you go to church with? We're in a real dangerous spot in the evangelical world as Christians because the culture around us is telling us to divorce what takes place here with what goes on in the world around us. To live your faith out privately and not publicly. And the fear is that if we continue to live out our faith privately here, then we don't even think about each other when we're not. So how much time this week? Have the people in your small group, those of you who are in discipleship groups, have the people in your small group or discipleship group, have those people even crossed your mind since Sunday? And if not, why? Because here's what takes place next. Community begins by considering each other, but then it continues through love and good works. Look at the second half of verse 24. And let us consider one another in order, so we're thinking about others to do something, in order to stir up love and good works. Thinking leads to action. Otherwise, you're just a weird guy who's constantly thinking about 
stuff and not get anything from God. Thinking leads to action, period, in all aspects of life. Think about the weird friend that you have that, like, spends all day watching YouTube conspiracy videos. You can't think of anyone, and you have to think, man, I'm wondering what's going on with this. It's probably that person. You ponder a lot of things, but it never leads you into action. I've always been wondered. There's a group of people that believe that the earth is flat. Yet they don't seem to be mobilized on mission to prove to the rest of us that the earth is, in fact, flat. Yeah, sure, they have a Twitter page and a Facebook page and a couple of websites, maybe some journal articles. But when was the last time you saw a guy out on the street corner heralding that the earth is flat and giving us verifiable proof? You don't. I really would love for someone to go through the paces to prove that we never landed on the moon. And there might be like legitimate reason to believe that we didn't. But it leads to action. Thinking always leads to action. And that's so important in the Christian life. Because we love to come and sit and hear sermons and uh, be encouraged in small group and go to discipleship group. And we think about all these wonderful Christian things and all of this theological doctrine and theology and stuff that matters but does it actually lead to action when was the last time that your right understanding of scripture led you to encourage a brother or sister in christ to love and to live it out if we're not careful our church and even our college ministries can become a place where we really love doctrine and theology And we really love to talk about it with each other. And we're reading the latest and greatest books. And we're listening to all the latest and greatest sermons. And we're going to together for the gospel and for the church and shepherds conference. We're taking groups all over the place. And man, we just know a lot of stuff. But if it never causes us to move other people towards living out what it means to be a Christ follower, it's an exercise in futility. One of my favorite apologists of all time, Francis Schaeffer, said, apologetics that never leads, or defending the faith that never leads to an evangelism is an exercise in futility. Because if you're going to defend Christ, it's going to necessarily mean that you point people to him. But it's not just living it out. It's towards love and good works. Let me ask you something. As a result of being involved in our ministry, have you become more loving or less loving? Well, that'd be a critique on us. But you've not become more loving. All I can say is that pastoring college students for the last now four years going into year five, I did not think I could love you more than I do right now. And yet time and time again, you've proven me wrong. It's been an exercise of my own growth. Encouraged by students and student leaders and adult leaders and worship team leaders and and people who do things that I can't do and and they do them far better than me. And it's by your very actions and by your very words, you don't understand how important it is to come alongside of people and explain and express and communicate what you're getting at. Because when we do, it's like a, shot in the arm of encouragement that just presses us further down the road. 
it wasn't just push us further down the road in our love. It pushes us further down the road in our good works as we live out what it looks like to be a Christ follower. I'm in a discipleship group right now. It's kicking my tail because I'm with five other dudes who every day they post about what they're reading from the Bible. And it's been very good for me. And it's pushing me into my Bible more. And I think, I hope that at some level I'm taking place. Now, I can't speak for my friends, but it, that can only take place in a context of community. Because if you're not plugged in, you can't experience it. You know, we have people that sometimes will come to us and they'll say, well, I'm just not connected to my community. I get that. It's hard, right? It's a little big group of people. It's hard to connect with people. Uh, it's hard for me to connect with people. It's still hard for me to connect with people. We just cheer. We just cheer for somebody and they'll say, I, I just, I struggle to connect with people. And I'll ask them this question, well, how much are you here? How much are you participating in church? It's impossible to be connected to something that you don't show up for. It's like being a season ticket holder and then being mad with the office that you never get to see the football game. Like, you should connect me to tickets to your house, right? Yeah, I got them right here. They're in the UPS envelope. I signed for them and everything. Okay? So what seems to be the problem? I'm just not seeing the game. Well, have you tried getting in the car and driving to the stadium and taking the ticket and walking through the gate and letting the ninth person scan the ticket? You used to tear them. Now they scan them. And, 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 and come in and, and sit in your seat and, and get some popcorn, some nachos, get yourself an ice cold Coca-Cola and enjoy a football game? No, I'm just having a real hard time connecting. Well, that might be why you're struggling to connect with a football game, because you're sitting at home, you have the ticket, you have the ability, and yet you're not coming. Sometimes as Christians, we're like, man, this is really hard for me to connect, but we're never at church. We'll get to that in a second. But just to rewind here for a minute, in your own life, Considering other people then moves you to provoke them, to stir up in them love and good works. What are love and good works? Well, love is pretty transparent. We understand that concept for the most part. But good works, because we always get weirded out. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. We're like all about that. We get real weirded out anytime we see the words work out your salvation with fear and trembling or good works. We're like, we're not Catholics. We don't believe you can save yourself by just working and being good. Okay, calm down. An evident sign of your Christ-likeness or your union with Christ is that you begin to live for Christ. Arkett Hughes famously said about this particular text, three easy ways to encourage people is to pray for them, to push them to read God's word, and to encourage them. How hard is that? To pray for someone, to push them to read the Bible and ask them what they're getting, and to encourage them. So just to ask you, in the last week, let's not even say in your life, let's just say in the last week, how much time have you spent praying for other people, pushing them to read their Bible, and encouraging people around you? If we're going to be existing community, we have to consider others. And then that consideration pushes us towards love and good works, producing those things and seeing them produced in other people. And then finally, what happens is we move from love and good works to continuing through regular gatherings. 
Look at verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Well, what continues this type of community? It's regular gathering. But it's not regular gathering for the regular gathering's sake. Sometimes we're guilty of this. We're just going to get a group of people together. And we're, because we need to be together. We just got to get this group of people together. And we're just, this is what happens in businesses all the time. How many of you work at a job that you have regular meetings? How many of you work at jobs where those regular meetings are a waste of time? I finally don't work for one of those organizations, so I can keep my hands off. Most people, <coughs> most people honestly would tell you, we just gather to do whatever we did. I don't even know because I'm overplaying lawn darts on my phone. Throwing lawn darts on my phone, just trying to beat the high score and win in my league. Who cares? We're playing Candy Crush because your meetings are a colossal waste of time because it's just gathering for gathering's sake. We're gathering so that at some point, some assistant manager or assistant to the regional manager can go and tell the regional manager, we met. We fulfilled our obligation to meet. We had a meeting. Did you accomplish anything? Let's not get into particulars. We had a meeting. That's not what Christians should be about. Our regular gatherings should be on purpose for something. Exhorting one another. That's why we preach. Preaching primarily is a means of exhortation. We gather together in community here to worship, to sing praises to our God, to hear a pastor exhort us to live a certain way that's according to the scriptures. If he doesn't, then send him away. But we want the man of God to preach the word of God to the people of God. And in order for this to take place, we actually have to gather together. We actually have to spend time together. Here's the temptation. Persecution exists. Things are difficult. And what happens? Well, the author of Hebrews tells us that apparently they were not gathering. They were forsaking the assembling of themselves together. The author of Hebrews says, no. When you live in a day like this, you can't not gather. Sorry for the vernacular. You can't. You can't give up gathering together. But he has a much more robust thing in mind. Because, you know, normally we just go to Hebrews 10.25 and we're like, that's why I need to be at church every time the doors are open. The author of Hebrews has a much more expansive understanding of what it means to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Yes, we gather in worship. And yes, they should. But in a time and an era where it was difficult for that to take place, the author of Hebrews is exhorting them to gather even outside of the local church. This is crazy. We try to orient as much stuff around the local church, and the author of Hebrews is saying, yes, plus some. Some of you wonder, I can't figure out why I still struggle with these particular sins. I mean, I come to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I seem to be doing okay. Then I bite it. And then we ask you questions like, well, who do you primarily spend time with? And who are the people that are speaking into your life? And none of them know Christ. And you wonder why you're struggling to live out the Christ-like life. Some of you are getting ready to 
experience very difficult semesters and very difficult classes with difficult people who are difficultly opposite of Christ. Someone told me that they're sitting in an abnormal psych class at Missouri State. I'm thinking, I can think of 150 reasons why I would never set foot in that classroom. What do you do to offset that, right? Because the school says you have to take this. You gather with Christ followers throughout your week so that you know how to handle the people who are open and hostile. Some of you go to a Bible college and the people around you aren't pushing you towards godliness and Christ likeness. And you still think that it's a good idea. Even tonight, some of you are getting ready to go back to your dorm room. You're going to hang out with people who are just there. They claim to know Christ. Claim to be called to Christian ministry, and yet they live like a pagan. You're like, it's a good idea to be around them. See, here's what the author of Hebrews is getting at. You and I have to make a conscious decision that the people we put around us are going to be people who pour Christ into us, not who drain us from Christ. We often don't like to talk about moral imperatives because we don't want to be called legalistic. Because then you end up like how my childhood was, like you don't wear, girls don't wear pants, you don't listen to rock and roll music, and you can't go to the movie theater, and all this stuff is just really, really bad. Like, just weird stuff. You hear crazy things. The problem is that there is an imperative here, and that's to make sure that we are in the conscious habit of assembling with other believers. I think that starts primarily at church. So you're like, well... I've only got time for church or hanging out with my friends, so hang out with my friends. Not forsaking the assembling of myself together with others. I got a pass. No, 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 no. The primary means that God is using to sanctify you and mold you and make you into the image of Christ is the local church. And you have to make that a priority. But your community extends beyond the walls of this church. Look, the only time we get together should not be when we go to church together. So we need to be aware and make sure that we're inviting and including and bringing people alongside of us and pulling them into our friend groups so that they might experience what hopefully you're already experiencing in your community. Growth and godliness. So have you made this a priority? You know, it's funny. We do talk to students a lot that say, I just struggle to connect. And I understand that. I want to be sympathetic. So if you're the person who's sitting in here tonight and you said, man, in my life, David, you just don't understand how difficult it is for me to connect with other people. I want to tell you that this college ministry is going to do everything in its power to help you be connected into a community of people who love and follow Christ and want to push you towards Christ's likeness. But I'm also going to tell you this. And I don't know that we've ever said it from the pulpit, but I'm going to say it now. It's a two-way street. It's a two-way street for this community to exist. You can't expect more of us than what you're willing to put in yourself. A lot of people do this in churches, and they get a lot more than what they expect from themselves in their local church. And they can't seem to figure out why their church, the people that they realize are at church, look drained all the time, exhausted. Could it be that perhaps they're doing more to stir someone up that's just kind of sitting and I want to be stirred. But I want to push you with this last idea and this last thought before we close tonight. 
Some of you have sat through this entire sermon. You think this is all jolly good and stuff. But you're still on the fence about this Christ fellow. You're still on the fence. Or some of you are like, I just can't. I don't get community. This doesn't make sense to me. I don't know why you people gather together and hear the word preached. It's because you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, while we would tell you as a Christ follower, your greatest need is to be plugged into a community, a local church of believers. What we would also tell you is the need that supersedes that, the one that's greater than that, the one that precedes getting plugged into a local church is actually having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the community's always going to feel lacking. And I'm convinced that some of the reasons why people sit in church and they're miserable for years and years of their life and they feel like they can't get any satisfaction from the community that they're plugged into, the reason why that is happening is because they're looking for something in a Christian community that only Christ himself can provide. So some of you have walked away from the faith, walked away from being involved in a local church. You've walked away from pursuing KT, local church community. Could it perhaps be that you were looking for the church to do something that only Christ could do? And tonight your greatest need is not to be re-plugged back into a local community of Christ followers, but your greatest need is to actually have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening to the Crave College Ministry Sermons from Crossway Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. For more information about Crave, you can connect with us online at crosswaybc.org forward slash college or on social media at Crossway Crave. Again, thanks for listening, and we hope you have a great day.